0: Welcome to Crossroads Church Podcast. We are located in Northern Colorado, and you may hear us refer to ourselves as Orange Dots of Hope. And what's so cool and exciting is that Orange Dots of Hope are not just located in Northern Colorado, but our community stretches literally around the world, and we are grateful for you. And this podcast is another way for us to make our world a little bit smaller. So it's so good to be with you. My name is Jessica, and I am your host. And we are in a series called Campfire Stories. This is week six. If you have missed any of the previous weeks, go back and listen to them. You'll really get an idea of this whole series. But I do want to give you a heads up this week. Ryan is taking on a couple of big stories this weekend, and in fact, we want you to know in advance that these stories involve people who experienced injustice in the forms of cover-ups, sexual assault, silencing through threats of firing, and lack of support and care when experiencing unplanned pregnancy. And listen, self-care is really, really important to us. If you need to pause because these topics may be triggering to you, well, we want you to do what's best for you and we wanna give you that heads up. Parents, if you have kids listening in the car, this may not be a message you wanna listen to together. You may wanna listen to it first and then decide. So I just wanna give you that heads up ahead of time. Ryan will be here. With Campfire Stories Part 6. And if you like to take notes, I have linked them in the show notes. You can take digital talk notes with fill ins and access UVersion Live 2 for the scripture references. Here comes Ryan. <music>
1: Right. Good to see everybody. Thank you, Katie and the band and musicians and tech people. And thank you for being here. I had a dream last night that nobody came today. Legit. (laughs) Like for real. Totally cold sweat. John, did you ever have those dreams? Our founding pastors, people liked you, so they would come. But I was just not sure about me today. So it was weird. I woke up in the world. So it's good to be here. Hey, if you're a guest, my name is Ryan, and I uh, currently have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here, at least for the rest of the day. We'll see what happens um, after... (laughs) We don't have another council meeting till next month, so I'm probably good till good till then, but uh, it's great to have everybody here. Thank you for being here, for uh, being safe, and I wanna encourage you to open up your heart to what God has for you throughout our whole experience uh, that has been uh, really prayerfully considered, so it's good to be together. If you are a guest, that Connect card, a regular Tinder Connect card, I encourage you to fill that out. Uh, it's so important, and if you have a prayer request or anything like that, put it on that card, drop it in that box or hit the submit button here at the end of our service, of our time together. If you're out in the atrium enjoying the sunlight, good for you, or outside, even better yet, on the patio, uh, enjoying that sunlight. It was a clear day today, it felt like. I don't know if you noticed that today. It felt a little clearer as I was driving in. We could see the mountains, so it was really good. Nice to see Dale and Pat. Good to have you here. So uh, we're in our series, Campfire Stories. It is week number six, uh, where we're just gonna be exploring some pretty heavy topics, so I appreciate that Katie kind of shared, and I just wanna reiterate, practice good self-care. In, in these types of topics. If there's a word, if there's something that said, uh, don't just, you know, oh, my coffee's empty and go out and get some more coffee, whatever you need to do or click off. Our, our anchor verse for this series is found in the gospel of John. Uh, John tells the story of Jesus in a unique way, but he says this at the end of his gospel. He says, there are also many other things that Jesus did, but if these were to be described individually, I do not think the whole world would contain the books that could be written. And I think this verse tells is trying to tell us something big, that there's so much about God, there's so much about the experience of God throughout the history of the world that we could never write it all down. And so we're invited into that mystery. We're invited in to look at these stories and understand their significance and their truth, even if they might not be facts. And so we've been saying that a lot of these stories, we so one of the ways that we've always understood them as parabolic, they're metaphorical. They're meant to teach timeless truths. That's why they've lasted for 3,500 years. The story we're gonna talk about today took place, is meant to have taken taken place over 3,500 years ago. Uh, and uh, it was probably written down 2,500 years ago. That's a long time. That's a totally different time. So, so we love the fact that these stories hold truth that are timeless. And even though they maybe never happened, they always happen, right? That's the beauty of a really great story. It always happens. Let me ask you a question. Uh, and, and this one you can raise your hand for. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you really felt trapped? Like you had no, you felt like there's no way out. Like if you just think for a second, you go, I I was trapped at work. Like I just, I was in an awful work situation. I felt like there were no other options. I was just under the like thumb of an abusive boss. Or I was in an ecosystem that just didn't value my gifts, my talents, but I didn't know what to do. Maybe you felt trapped in a relationship. Maybe you felt trapped uh, in, in, a, in a housing situation, or you maybe you felt trapped not in a housing situation. But at the end of the day, you had this moment where you just feel like you lost all power. Agency was taken away from you by someone else. And at the end of the day, you just felt like, man, how am I going to break through like the ceiling is kind of lowering. I have the image Any star wars fans this one 's free for this service didn 't say this on Thursday night, just free. I just got this image in my head. Remember the trash compactor scene in the original Star Wars, which was the fourth episode right and they're like, and the walls are just kind of collapsing in, and he 's screaming like right and it just keeps and you feel that right and you go, how is this going to how is it going to break through? And, and, and sometimes those experiences can be, at the end of the day, when we walk out of them or we maybe get on the other side of them, we go, why did I feel so trapped? Because maybe you might look at it and go, there were a million apartments I could have got. There were a million other fish in the sea, right? But there are those like circumstances where... You just don't know if you're ever going to get out of it. And then there's the trauma of it that just keeps coming back, and the walls keep coming in. This past week, I have been listening to this podcast, um, and it's a, it's a podcast series that's called um, Gangster Capitalism, which I, I know that some of you are, immediately don't like me anymore. Uh, so just like, I'm not, I'm not down on capitalism. Don't, I'm, I don't know enough about economics to be down on anything. All right, so just take a deep breath, okay? <laughs> this this story is not about capitalism all right that's it's not the case but this, this group of folks, they do these deep dive investigative journalism uh, stories, these exposés that last about eight or nine episodes into areas where there is just massive abuse and massive neglect. And this third season, they, they started to tackle um, one of the largest Christian colleges in the world, Liberty University. And they began to do this exposé, given some of the things that had come out in the news around leadership there and policies there. And so they just said, we're going to take this deep dive in and see what's happening at this massive university that professed as its uh, mission statement to create champions for Christ. And thou- I mean, tens of thousands of students worldwide, globally are part of this ecosystem. And it was so... Like it felt so gross. Like it was so hard to listen to like nine, 10 hours of this podcast of story after story after story of control and abuse and cover up at a space that's meant to be the light and hope of Jesus. And, and I recognize that no place is perfect, but some of these very personal stories were we were just tragic. We heard, I heard the story of Amy, who was 18 years old and grew up a, a, in, a, in a family with a single mom, didn't have much of a relationship with her mom, and she thought, This is my fresh start. She had saved up enough money to go for her first year at college to live there. She had worked really hard, and her and her boyfriend left their home, I believe it was in Arkansas, and they went over to this university. And they thought, This is our fresh start. And they had been dating for a few years. And, And during Christmas break, she discovered that she was pregnant. So she immediately was terrified. She said, what am I going to do? So she tried to think like, how can I, how can I hide this? How can I get through this semester? I just need to stay in school. How how am I going to do this? Well, uh, over time, it just began to just like the, 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 the pressure of it and the pain, she just didn't know what to do. And she didn't really have a a great relationship with her mom to talk to about what was happening to her body. And so she just finally said, I got to talk to somebody. And so she went to the person who led the prayer group for her dorm, the prayer director. And she said, can I talk to you about something? And and is it in confidence? And the prayer director said, yes, as long as you're not a harm to someone else. And so she just shared what was happening. And this prayer director then gave her an ultimatum that she had so many hours to tell authorities. And then it just began this cycle of her being kind of neglected. And at the end of the day, she was forced into, the only way she could remain at school would be to marry her boyfriend. And so in a matter of like 36 hours, they had to produce a marriage certificate so that she could remain in school. And she tells the story of just being terrified and nobody in this ecosystem of Christ ever saying to her, it's gonna be okay you're loved, this is life, we celebrate life. And the point of her story was in an institution that would say, life is so important, it was actually much easier to terminate life than to actually live in that truth. And so she found herself in this awful situation with no place to go and no place to turn. And Jack, who was a news editor at the school newspaper, caught wind of the story. And Jack sat down with Amy and wanted to help her tell her story of how she was lied to about what support she was gonna be given and and some of the other things that had taken place. And so he wrote up a story and then it got handed off, and it ended up going into the upper echelons of that division. They caught wind of the story, they killed the story, and in two weeks, Jack lost his job. Because we couldn't let people know the truth that we're just all human beings, real people, and sometimes there are things that happen to us, things that happen that we do, and, but they couldn't have that. You heard the story of Kathy, and Kathy was a young woman who was working, and I was on her way back to her dorm one night, And she went through this tunnel. It was about one in the morning because she worked until 1230 on campus and she was traveling through. And as she came out of this tunnel, got to the other side of the tunnel, three men came down out of the woods, jumped her, sexually assaulted her, raped her and left her there. And she went back to her dorm and reported it immediately immediately. And through this ensuing of what was happening as she went to the Title IX office, which is the federal, uh, Title IX is the federal policies around education institutions and what they have to do to create safe environments on campuses. You hear the story over and over and over again of how, well, let's just, let's not talk about this. Let's cover it up. And she never received the support that she wanted to. In fact, when she was actually sent to a counselor, she finally asked for a counseling and support that she should have received immediately according to Title IX policies. When she finally went to the counselor, she learned later that the counselor was actually the wife of one of the administrators who was actually just interrogating her, trying to find out what happened and why she didn't yell louder and why she was out so late. And so at the end of the day, she has to drop out of school because she didn't receive the support in classes that she was passing with A's, she was failing. And she went to one of her professors and said, I don't know what to do. This happened to me and it's affecting my grades. And this professor who still is employed there according to the journalistic uh, work uh, said to her, well, you shouldn't give them your GPA too, referring to her attackers. That was the response. So that. that's that, how, where do I go? what do I do? How, how do I get past this? Liz was a survivor of basically being raped by a friend at a party, received no support, no help. Same story over and over and over again. It had gotten so bad, Amy tried to take her life prior to finally just dropping out and leaving the school. And this is an environment that professes, hey, we're gonna create champions for Christ. And, and you know, you don't have to Google very hard to find these types of stories. In our world, and all throughout the circles of Christianity. And what it teaches us and what it helps us understand is that these places, these institutions, whatever it might be, whether it's a business, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's a church environment, whether it's a school, wherever there is power, there tends to be the fear of losing that power. And wherever there's money, there tends to be a growth of greed. And what I've learned as I listen to this and as I look around me, I see that power and greed are equal opportunity oppressors. That it just doesn't matter what what religion you profess. It doesn't matter what gender you are in leadership. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. Uh, Everyone, every ecosystem that has power, that has has money flowing into it is a space in which people can become intoxicated by that power and intoxicated by the idea of money. And this reality is nothing new. We have this beautiful passage in the, what's called the book of 1 Samuel, which is in the, it's in the Hebrew Bible, the first part of the Christian Bible. And the people are crying out for a king. They say the story goes that they look around and all the other nations have a king and they say, we want a king. And so Samuel goes to the Lord and says, hey, uh, they want a king. And God says, hey, no, they don't. (laughs) They think they do, but they don't. And eventually they say, no, we want a king just like all the other people. And so Samuel goes and he delivers this message from the Lord to all those people who were asking for a king. And he says to them, the governance of the king will rule you as follows. This is how this king will rule you. He's gonna take your sons and assign them to his chariots and horses, and they will run before his chariot. He will appoint from them his commanders thousands, of thousands and hundreds. He will make them do his plowing and harvesting and produce his weapons of war and chariotry. He will use your daughters as perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take your best fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his servants. He'll tithe your crops and grapes and give to his officials and his servants. He'll take your male and female servants, slaves, and as well as your best oxen and donkeys and use them to do his work. Oh, oh! by the way, he'll also tithe your flocks, meaning he'll take 10% of your flocks for himself as well. And as for you, you'll just become his slaves. That's what's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> we don't care. We want a king. That's how the story goes. Now we, the point of that being written down was to say, this is what happened. And there was probably some meeting somewhere where Samuel said, I'm telling you, this is what's gonna happen. And there were some people in power that wanted power and wanted a structure to look like everybody else. And they press on. And it was as if the people just ignored it. And these, this was the people of God. Like this was supposed to be, right? This is the idea that these are the, the nation that God is gonna use to reveal God's character. And it's still right there because where there is power, where there is money, there will always become greed. There'll always become oppression. This reminds me of a story, this experience of feeling like, how do I get out from under oppression? How do I get out from this space where my agency has been taken away? It reminds me of this very, very strange story to our ears in Genesis 38 of Judah and Tamar. Now Genesis 38 is a, is a chapter that comes right after 37 and right before 39. <laughs> right? It's pretty weird when you think about it. it and it's weird because Genesis 37 is where Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. If you're familiar with that story, if you're not familiar with that story, you can read it. But basically, Joseph is sold into slavery. His brothers don't like him because he's a brat. That's the truth. That's how the story unfolds. And he, they sell him into slavery. He's the father's favorite. He's a brat. He's bragging. He says, you're all gonna, I'm going to rule you all one day. And they're like, okay, we'll try that. We'll see what happens. And they you know, basically pretend fake his death, and they sell him off. And then we pick up the story of... Judah, his, one of his brothers. And it feels kind of like an insertion into the story. Like You could read chapter 37, jump to 39, and the story makes sense. So the, 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 the like literary point of 38, I just have to say this, is to show us a change in Judah. It's to show us how this person who led his brothers so poorly, who was perfectly fine with abuse and carried that into his life, had an experience that changed him so that actually by the end of the Joseph story, Judah is standing up saying, I'll take responsibility for the lives that are at stake. You have a massive transformation. And so this story, which probably circled and, and, and was like distributed separately, is inserted to help us see the transformation in Judah. So the story of Judah and Tamar kind of goes like this, but I guess I should say too, because you have a fill-in, Genesis 38 reminds us that um, the Bible is, is old and complex, right? And Genesis 38 reminds us of that antiquity. And that is not to say that it's bad, right? I, I, again, I'm not a, like there are things that just get better with age, right? Most of you, for example, get better with age, right? there are just some of you that are in that category. Yes, I am. I have, I have aged well. I am a fine wine of a human being. I understand that. But what we have to do is we look at this, I just want us to make sure that Genesis 38 is a beautiful example of why I personally don't see the Bible as a handbook and rules of regulations, particularly around cultural constructs like sexuality and marriage and gender, because this, you, you'll see in this story, post-enlightenment, it is all out of whack. And if we want to come to these stories in a very fundamentalistic way, looking for rules for how marriage and life and gender relationships should work, we would be regressing in our development as human, human beings. So it's very important that we recognize that this is a great example of the Bible being an ancient, diverse, and ambiguous collection of writings, and we come to it with a measure of caution. And we look for wisdom, not rules. And so we come to this sacred text as followers of God in Christ who experience God through the person of Jesus. And we recognize that this text is beautiful. These texts are because they give us the struggle. We all are struggling to make sense of God. I think if we're honest, we would say, if you've been following and, and, and trying to have an experience and a relationship with God for a long time, there's probably been points in your life where you've said things like this. I just felt like God told me. Or I just feel like God was in this. And then you like lived a little bit longer and you're like, oh no, that wasn't God. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> whoops, didn't mean that. And that's, but that's the human journey. And the beauty of, of this sacred text for Christians is that we get that. We get how people have a vision for their world. They're trying to make sense of the pain. They're trying to make sense of the just general injustice. And so things get att- attributed to God that when Jesus shows up, we go, oh no. Like if Jesus came to show us how God has always been and will always be, we can go back and we can look at texts even in front of Jesus and behind Jesus and go, oh, missed it there. Missed it here in my life. So just like we often get it wrong, our text, our scriptures reveal that same struggle. And that's a part of this story. So Judah goes off, he separates from his brothers, and he goes into this area and he marries a Canaanite woman and has three sons. These three sons' names are Ur, I'm going to say Ur or Air, however you want to, Onan and Shelah, all three available if you're thinking of having kids all three are available. I've checked our database. We do not have an er yet or an onon. So if you want those, those are yours. Um, and, and here's the thing. So, so they have these three sons. And then the, 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 here's a, another great example. Like right here, here's the problem with the text. We don't know the woman's name that Judah married. Why? Because it wasn't important to the people who wrote it. And is that healthy? No. <laughs> Right? It just gives the androcentric kind of significant issues of patriarchy that existed as part of this time world. And we've unfortunately hung on to that as opposed to saying, well, let's just evolve. But we don't know, all we know is that she's Shua's daughter. We're given her father's name, but he goes and marries Shua's daughter and they have these three sons. And then what happens as time goes by, the oldest one, Er, marries this woman named Tamar. And something happens, he dies young. And when he dies young, he leaves Tamar a childless widow. And there are two things that happen. If you go back and read this whole story, which I would encourage you to do, as you read this story, you'll find that what it says is that Er dies young because he was evil and wicked, and so God killed him. Okay? I want to tell you right now, Jesus never struck anybody down for being wicked or evil, so I don't believe God did that. I believe that that made perfect sense in a pre-enlightenment culture that was so far removed from us that if someone died very young of unnatural causes, you attributed that to the gods. They did evil. We see we see that. We see residuals of that all throughout even the time of Jesus. So I don't believe God Killed, I just think that's part of the story. Like that's what it would have, that's what would have made sense at the time. So God kills him. That's the only explanation, right? So now we're found, we find that Tamar is in one of the most vulnerable situations that you could ever be in as a woman in antiquity. She's now widowed and, and, and marriage in this time is more about, it's, it's terrible and awful, but it's more about contracts with property than anything we would ever imagine. And so now she is at this space where, what do I do? I have no children to carry on the line of my husband. But there was a law. There was a law that kicks in. So, in the injustice of patriarchy, there was actually a, a law that was trying to keep things more just. And it was called the law of the Leverite. And the Leverite law falls on the brother, Onan, the brother in law. And so he is to marry Judah, marry Tamar and produce a child together so that the brother's lineage and line can carry on. So he would receive the inheritance. Now, what's the injustice here? Tamar could just receive the inheritance and move on in life, right? Go find somebody, go marry somebody, move on. But there was this huge issue of the, the child's name ending, right? That that would be the end of the lineage. But it's not the end of the lineage. There's two other sons there, right? There's all kinds of problems we know from post-enlightenment. So let's just, we can take a breath and go, okay, we're not supposed to live this law, all right? And you can actually read about this law called the law of the lever, uh, brother-in-law. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, it's a later development of this very old story. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, the, the brother-in-law can actually say, no, thank you. And then the, 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 the woman can come take her sandal off, spit in his face and smack him across the face with his sandal and shame him. Like that's movement, that's progress, Right? <laughs> It's progress. I've got to at least be happy about that. And I do happen to believe that Tamar could have said no. Like, I'll just go, and you'll see, she's, she goes and lives with her father-in-law. So she could have said no to this. But this was the just law. But what we find out that happens in this story is that Onan, the brother, he withholds divine justice. This law that's in the family that is all throughout, by the way, we have this law code in, in, outside of the Hebrew culture. It's in other ancient Near Eastern cultures as well. He withholds it because the scripture says that whenever he would go and have sex with her, he would withhold, he would spill his seed onto the ground and say like, no, thank you. I don't want to do this. And he didn't produce a child because he didn't want to share what could have been his. As the second in line, he would get all that inheritance. He doesn't want to have a child that he has to provide for or care for that's not his and so it's self-interest because he's got a lot to lose. But not only does Onan refuse divine justice, but Judah does as well. Because Judah says, I've got to silence her because now I've got two sons that are dead. And what happens if, she, if, if, if something happens to my third son, Shelah? Because now it's like, next, that's, that's just how the law worked. And so all of a sudden, Judah says, here's the deal, Tamar. Shelah's a little young, but he'll be of age soon enough. Just go back and live with your father. And then when Sheila's of age, I'll send for you. And so Judah tries to silence the voice of Tamar. And the text tells us that he does this because he's afraid. Fear has set into his heart. I don't want to lose my son. It's a legitimate fear, but he's withholding divine justice, what is meant for Tamar. And so Tamar then finds herself in the waiting, I love that song that we said, it's in the waiting, it's in the waiting, hold on to your hope. And so she's sitting there and the scripture tells us that over time, Shelah grows and Judah's wife uh, dies and he becomes a widower himself and he puts on the, gar- the garments of mourning and then when that time comes, he takes off his garments of mourning and he decides to go up to the sheep shearing festival in a town called Timnah, which was where uh, Tamar was. And Tamar catches wind of this. A friend, I love the friend. There's always a friend. There's always a friend who they get together and they badmouth Judah. I know they do it. They get together and have coffee and they're like, that son of a, I can't believe it. You know they're doing that, right? Because what else do you do when you're trapped? And the friend says, I heard Judah's coming into town. And together, I think through the Spirit of God, they just hatch this plan. They hatch this plan, and Tamar decides, I'm going to take justice into my own hands. I'm going to take my vindication into my own hands, because I've watched Shayla grow up. I know he's old enough now, and this is, this is my divine right. And so she puts her life at risk. She puts her honor at risk, and she takes off her, her um, widow's garments. So she has to walk around. Everybody knows she's a widow She takes off those widow's garments. She puts on a different outfit. She covers her face, and she goes and sits outside the city gate. And Judah's coming along, this widower, and sees her and mistakes her for a prostitute. The story gets even better. This is your Bible, okay? Your Bible. (laughs) But let's follow the Bible by all means. (laughs) Oh, it got quiet there. It got real quiet there. Like everybody's like, oh, hold on a second. No, like you don't want to follow the Bible. I promise you that. We want to learn from it and we want to uh, gain wisdom from it, but you don't want to follow. Because here's the deal. Judah comes up and he sees her and he walks up to her and says, hey, let me sleep with you. And let me tell you something. The writer of this story has no problem with it. No problem with it whatsoever. He's not indicted. He says, could you believe Judah would do this? No, it's just a fact of life. So Judah comes up and says, let me sleep with you. Doesn't recognize it's Tamar. She's got her face covered. And she says, okay, well, what will you pay me? He says, I'll give you a goat, a little baby goat, a kid. It's kind of interesting. The text says, I'll give you a kid. And where this story goes, some of you know, I could tell you're like, oh, right? (laughs) He says, I'll give you a kid from my flock. She says, okay, but you don't have one with you. So you're going to have to give me some pledge, something to to hold on to. He says, okay, well, what about this? And, and he gives her his signet ring, his cord, and his staff. All three things that would be very clearly marked as the patriarchs, as Judah's. So she takes it. Scripture says that they sleep together, and she becomes pregnant with Judah's child. Judah goes on with life, sends a friend back, says, take the kid back, go pay the prostitute. They can't find her because Tamar's gone back home, changed clothes again, and so here's this friend of his, like walking around with this little goat. <laughs> Notice that Judah doesn't go himself, right? He sends his buddy and he's like, where's the, and this is interesting. The language is interesting. The, 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 the friend's like walking around with this goat going, where's the temple prostitute that sat outside that city? Totally different word. Temple prostitute, cold prostitute, like trying to lighten and ease. They're like, where is that? And they're like, what are you talking about? There's no temple prostitute. So he's looking around, so he goes back to to Judah and it's like, I can't find her. And he says, okay, well, just forget about it. We tried. Uh, Less embarrassment, we tried, it's not our problem. Well, three months later, Tamar starts to show and everybody now knows that she's pregnant. So word gets back to Judah, Judah the unjust and says, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot and now she is pregnant from her harlotry. And Judah says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Let her be brought out and burned. Let her be brought out and burned. And this plan, this decision by Tamar to take justice into her own hands, put at her own risk and her peril, her own personal honor and her own personal safety. It was her life at stake. And so as they're marching, this this oppressed woman whose agency has been taken away from her from birth in this culture and it just gets piled on and piled on as she's walking out the text says that she says hey just before you light the match my translation uh would you just take this stuff over to judah and just ask him is this yours is this your stuff is this your stuff as they take it over to judah And Judah, in that moment, repents and says, she is in the right. She is more right than I am. And it says that he never slept with her again. He took her into his home and cared for her. And then we get the story of the twins that were born, which help us understand some tribal conflicts that happen later on in life, which is the point of a lot of these narratives. But we see that Tamar's truth topples Judah's power. Because Judah, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, was humble enough to recognize what he was doing. What I don't want us to miss, and I I think what this story doesn't want us to miss, like it doesn't want us to learn how to do marriage and how to set up justice. It doesn't want us, it just wants us to recognize that Tamar, at just the right moment, when she was ready, when she felt empowered, she took action for her own individual vindication and found divine justice. And if you're here and you're in a space and you personally feel that you are trapped, you are oppressed, that you have gone through experiences and your agency has been removed, what this story wants to remind you is that when you're ready, when the spirit of God urges you, you can take action, but it may come at a risk. And this story reminds us of what just action, what vindication looks like from a human perspective, that it is not vengeance or violence. She doesn't change Judah. She changes Judah with the truth, with the story. She, it's not, I'm going to go, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to send somebody to kill him. I'm going to wipe them all out. None of that. It's crazy when you think there's no vice, she doesn't, she doesn't resort to violence, She does nothing that creates more victims in the process of justice. To create more victims to to try and retrieve justice is simply another injustice to someone. And that's the beauty and powerful. I mean, it offers us so much wisdom. It offers us so much wisdom. And so here's the first thing for your everyday normal peacemaking life, a crazy story from 3,500 years ago that has truth for us. Here's the thing. First of all, if you are in a position of power, if you have power, you are in a company, you are in a family, you are in a, a whatever it might be, but you're in a situation of power and authority. This story warns us that fear and self-interest always give birth to injustice. And it shows us that power has this tendency to be threatened and fear sets in and self-interest. I'm afraid I'm going to lose something, right? acting in self-interest to retain the power that I have, to retain the stuff that I think is mine. In in verses nine through 11, it says, the Onan, however, knew that the offspring would not be his. And so he withholds his duty. He refuses to give justice because he knew it was his self-interest. And then later on, Judah says, it says that Judah said to Tamar, listen, here's the deal. Remain a widow in your father's house. When my son Shayla grows up, I'll come and get you. And he did this because he was afraid that he might lose what was his, his son. Fear and self-interest are plagues when it comes to power. And there is a massive, massive indictment for those that have this space in your life for whatever reason to watch for and look for it. What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of? What is in your self-interest, but not in the best interest of the people you serve as a leader? Where is that at? And do you have people in your life that will call you on that or that you can confess that too to say, oh, it's creeping up in me. It's creeping up in me. I've had moments, can I just be honest with you for once? Um, (laughs) I'm glad some of you got that. Um, Every now and then in my line of work, just like your line of work, you celebrate the failures of others. I mean, don't lie to me and say you don't, right? If you open up an ice cream shop next to an ice cream shop and the ice cream shop next to you fails because of bad customer service and ice cream that melts too soon and is no good, you're happy because you get the business, right? Right? Okay, thank you. If we we can't be honest, then we're not gonna go anywhere together, people, right? And in my line of work, I hate to say it, but it's the same thing. You all of a sudden see a place or you see a church that you know, you feel like, oh, I feel like, man, what they're doing there is harmful or dangerous. And then you start to hear bad things about it. And it's like, there's a side that goes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I've learned? As soon as that starts to creep into me, I got to pull somebody aside and go, I'm a little too happy about this story. I shouldn't be that. And I have to confess it out loud because it's there. I'm happy they found out that person was a knucklehead. We have to have those people in our lives that aren't going to then condemn us, but just to, they can hold that. To see it. And if you're in the space of your agency is taken away and you're like, well, I don't know if I'm there. We have to remember the injustice this story teaches. It just feels like you have no future, like you're trapped and maybe that's you. And you're like, I don't even think of it as injustice. But if you're feeling like you have no future in this relationship, you feel like you have no future in this job, you feel like you have no future, wherever it might be, there's probably some hint of injustice that's pressed in on you that has you like Tamar back at your father father's house, waiting. And I love what it says in verses 12 through 14, that time passed. And that's what you feel like. New month, same problems. Time passes. But In that moment, she takes off her widow's garments. She covers herself with a shawl. She wraps it and she sits down outside and she goes for the plan. Why? Because she knew that Shayla was grown up. She knew that it was being withheld. There was this moment where it was like, I'm not just in a bad circumstance anymore. I'm in active injustice, right? So she's waiting for what would be justice and then realizes it's not gonna happen. It's just the classic David against Goliath. Right? It's, it's how we oftentimes take Jesus's words where he says, if you say to this mountain, be cast up into the sea, it will. There's a, it's this, this mountain that just has to move. right And Jesus would say, Tamar looked like this. Tamar was a person who was hungry and thirsty for righteousness. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. She was hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And Tamar teaches us that when you work for justice, it can come at a high price, a very high personal price. No matter what, people talked about her. No matter what, she was called names. It came at a high personal price. Remember, Judah says to her, hey, bring her out and let her be burned. But she was still willing to do something that we all can do. And that is trust the spirit of Christ in us trust the spirit of Christ in us and empowering us. And if we'll do that, if we will trust the spirit in us that empowers us at the right moment, when we're comfortable, when we feel like we can do this in that moment, when we take action like Tamar, we will inspire others to take action. Right? When you start to say, I, I've got to speak up. I've got to to let people know this is happening. This is what happened to me in this job. This is what happened. Then it inspires other voices. Amy, who became pregnant at Liberty and lost all control of her life and was basically had a shotgun wedding and the university was holding the shotgun. Well, she decided to tell her story. She worked for two years to change the policies that pregnant women could now remain on campus, remain in the dorm, be loved and cared for, change the policy. Her daughter's four years old. She's married. But she said, I'm gonna take action to change this. Liz recently found the power to tell her story. And as she told the story of the cover up that took place of her assault, other women just began to pour into her feed saying this is the exact same thing that happened to me. And through telling her story, it's bringing light onto this systemic problem of covering up sexual assault crimes on campus because you don't want those to show up on your annual crimes report because you wanna be the safest college campus in America. And so it's bringing to light the policies and the way in which when, when a student would go to the Title IX officer, when a student would report something like this happening, how it was covered up and they were advised, oh, we don't wanna report this to the police. It's just gonna be a mess. And so here's the thing, mountains are starting to move. Mountains are starting to move. You know, you've heard this uh, phrase, or maybe you've seen a meme that floats around that says, God helps those who help themselves. And then it's usually followed up with, that doesn't say, nowhere in the Bible does it say that, <laughs> Right? true. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, like, don't eat too much sugar. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, wear a seatbelt in their car. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, when you fly an airplane, make sure you learn how to fly an airplane before you start it, right? (laughs) But we have these beautiful stories like David and Goliath. We have these beautiful stories like Judah and Tamar. We have these beautiful stories that tell us that God is present and is longing for us to participate with God in the justice of the day. So, If you're here today and you feel like you're in a space and you feel like Tamar, what is God inviting you into? Maybe, maybe God's just inviting you to take that first step and just tell someone, just tell one person, one friend, one friend who'll just, who'll just sit with you and say, I can't believe it. That's so wrong. That son of a, why would they ever do that? I, you know, they'll just get with you. Like they'll, they'll be there with you. Maybe that's the first step. Maybe you've been in that process and you've been getting a nudge to speak up. That's a very personal, that's a very personal decision that has to be led by you. It is your agency. But what is God inviting you to do? And for those that are in this space that are listening to this, Maybe you're in leadership. Maybe the Spirit of God is inviting you to examine how your leadership, your policies, your procedures are promoting your self-interest and your fear might be growing and you feel like maybe the Spirit of God is presenting you with your signet ring and your cord and your staff this morning. Are these yours? And there's maybe some changes that need to take place in your way of leading because you have neglecting Justice, divine justice. So we have this song that's a, just a powerful metaphor and prayer about speaking to mountains. So I would just encourage you to take a few moments here and breathe a little bit. You might wanna close your eyes. You might wanna finish filling out your Connect card. You might wanna get your offering ready, whatever it might be, but just be present. Listen to the words of this song. Maybe you need to have them well up in your spirit. And then I'll be back for our blessing to send us out into this world to be the hands and feet of the love of Jesus this week.
0: Well, the Connect card that Ryan is talking about is linked in the show notes. And we want to know who you are and who's listening. And we want to connect with you even further if you want to and if you're ready to. So you can always check or click that you're a regular listener, a regular attender, or you could say you're new here. And again, my name is Jessica. I wanna know who is here and I love connecting with you. And also the song that Ryan is referring to at the end is called Speak to the Mountains and I am linking that in our show notes also. That's gonna be an encouraging song to take with you this week. And as we end our time together today, I want to speak this blessing over you. Now, if you're driving in the car, please keep your eyes open and receive this blessing. But if you're out on a walk, you can open up the palm of your hands and listen to these encouraging words. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness this morning, who feel trapped, silenced, traumatized, and powerless, May you experience the blessing of God's assurance that your hunger for righteousness will be satisfied and your thirst for justice will be quenched. May you, like Tamar, discern the right moment, the right path, and take action, even at great personal risk. May you find those faithful friends to stand beside you and take action with you. And to those who have allowed, Fear and self-interest to take root in your leadership may you find the courage to repent and restore what you have taken to those unwilling to repent who are intoxicated with power and greed who continue to fight regulations and laws meant to protect the vulnerable elevate the poor and vindicate the oppressed may God bless you with a Tamar a courageous survivor of your injustices, a brave soul filled with the spirit of Jesus to lay a trap that will end your oppression, not to bring you to a place of ruin, but to a place of repentance. Finally, for all the in-between ones, the ones in between oppressor and oppressed, righteousness and unrighteousness, just and unjust, to the ones humbly struggling to live the peacemaking way of Jesus. May the story of Judah and Tamar inspire you to humbly repent when repentance is needed and to courageously take action when action is needed. Amen. See you next week.